Hey everyone, it's Adam, and before we get started on this episode, uh, I just had kind of a brain fart, and I wanted to add a little something to the very beginning of this. I want everyone, please, to be aware of a couple of little announcements that are very personal to me. Uh, First and foremost, it is Dan's birthday tomorrow. September 16th is Dan's birthday. So please hit him up at info at itsamimic.com or send him messages at Oscar uh, the Orc on um, either Reddit or our uh, Instagram page. And of course, you can send him as many shitty things through the It's a Mimic Instagram thing or Instagram page as you want as well. It's noteworthy that his birthday is September 16th because that is also International Talk Like a Pirate Day. Um, so yar, ye scallywags, you should talk to everyone in your pirate voice and make sure that everyone knows that it is international talk like a pirate day. This is a legitimate thing that I've been celebrating for about 12 years and I never get to talk about it on the podcast. So flip Dan a birthday message in your best pirate speak. And remember, it's that god awful time of year among COVID and the West Coast burning and there are still, like, what happened to the murder hornets? I think that they're just, they're in, lying in wait to kill us. Shit is hitting the fan all over the world, so the worst thing has happened, pumpkin spice is back. Fuck that shit. Join me in my crusade to destroy the horrible, destructive, commercial, capitalistic bullshit that is the pumpkin spice latte. Okay, on to the episode. Okay, so... <clears throat> we're doing an episode now on more conditions Woo-hoo! and we're going to launch into all sorts of things, but I wanted to touch very quickly. We're going to talk about diseases. I wanted to touch really quickly on poisons. Uh-oh. No, not my regular rant. Oh, okay. we, we already did that a, a couple of episodes ago in the conditions series, but uh, I want to talk on the idea. Is there a sufficient enough mechanic in your opinion for how to utilize poisons in Dungeons and Dragons? I got a one again. Six. Seventeen. Uh, no. No? Just no. Straight up, no. I have not come across anything. I have not had a DM use anything that has been effective. Uh, or and... felt fair. Like, there's always this, like, cost-reward with using poisons that... Well, yeah, poison is now you take a D6 of poison damage and you move on. Right? I miss the whole, you lose five con points kind of poison exactly right like that's or what you lose to. 1d4 every round until you are healed yeah yeah right like there's that is absolutely missing to the point where i don't really use it now in the monster stats they are available so so i think that it's it's really cool for my answer here i think it's really cool what they do whenever there's a poison that is administered by a monster because it is like 1d4 every round but you get to save at the end of each round and it's usually a con save right sure that's fine but for players that want to be poisoners that have a poisoning kit a lot of rogues first time players especially say i will dip my blade in poison and i go congrats on your 1d4 damage but it took you an action to pull out the vial to to yeah you know sprinkle the poison upon the blade and, and you missed twice we're now four rounds later yeah, yeah. right and so it's <laughs> it's just uh it's definitely something to be lacking from the player perspective and um, we need to, I want to see a subclass for it. I feel like the alchemist is as close as we get. Yeah, the, the artificer alchemist? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would agree. I think assassin rogues should have this. And it boggles my mind how they're more about disguise and, and getting around than they are about poisoning. And I think it should just be something that comes standard with rogues in general. Because it makes sense that masterminds 
And and yeah, but I mean, rogues are inquisitive. Should be able to identify poisons. Rogues are one of the most powerful classes in the game. I don't understand. Yeah, why. but I would replace one thing with this instead. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, me, I want varying degrees of poison available to my players. Um, to the, the to the extent of, um, poison typically becomes a non-issue after tier one if not definitely by tier two um so having a like a cr20 poison that i could put in my like throw at my players right like walk into this haze of a room and now their skin is starting to melt because they i don't even think it needs to be cr but but it like like that yeah like that but that level of uh, equivalency right I, i want there to be this heavy dense active poison thread that i could pull on throughout the entire campaign not just in the first quarter without homebrewing it yourself yeah welcome to the it's a mimic podcast with your dms adam dan and dave welcome to another episode of the it's a mimic podcast the roundtable dungeons and dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get I'm Adam, and with me this week are Dan and Dave. I'm sorry, everybody. And we are talking about conditions again. More condition effects. However, these are going to be all of the ones that are there that are not listed under conditions. These are technically conditions you can receive. Lowercase c, not uppercase condition effect. Yeah. So um, This is something you're not finding in the back of your player's handbook or behind your DM screen. This is something... There's definitely rules out there here and there for it, but it's under-supported. Mm-hmm. All right. So what we're going to talk about is kind of the place of these things, like we just did with poison. What is the place in D and D for these things, and and how we would handle these both as DMs and as players moving forward. So uh, the very first thing that I wanted to jump into is a concept of disease. Dave, you're an expert on this. Yes. Why? Because you're always scratching. I assume you have something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now worried about this coffee I'm drinking. It should be. All the coffee I've brought has been like that. That would If you haven't caught it yet, you've either built up or immunity. I've known you for a few years. I probably have the immunity at this point. That's, that's probably true. So here's what we have in the Dungeon Master's Guide for Disease. Okay? Okay. It tells you essentially what a disease is and the fact that um, sometimes there can be magic ones. But a simple outbreak might amount to little more than a small drain on party resources, curable by a casting of lesser restoration. A more complicated outbreak can form the basis of one or more adventures as characters search for a cure, stop the spread of the disease, and deal with the consequences. A disease that does more than infect a few party members is primarily a plot device. So it's telling you how to use diseases, but there's no mechanics for it. Then it gives you three sample diseases. Crackle fever, sewer plague, and sight rot. Hmm. Okay. Do you you guys want me to break one of those down? Uh, Can we break them all down? If there's not a lot of options. Sure, I'll run through them. Um, now, we did talk about the diseases in Chult, um, the ones from Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah. Uh, we did a deep dive on those, so go listen to the Chult episode, because there's uh, we did kind of do a bit of a deep dive, and we're not going to repeat ourselves on that. So let's let's deal with these. Crackle fever, or cackle fever first. This disease targets humanoids, although gnomes are strangely immune. While in the grips of this disease, victims frequently succumb to fits of mad laughter giving the disease its common name and its morbid nickname, the Shrieks. Symptoms manifest 1d4 hours after infection and include fever and disorientation. 
The infected creature gains one level of exhaustion that can't be removed until the disease is cured. Any event that causes the infected creature great stress, including entering combat, taking damage, experiencing fear, or having a nightmare, forces the creature to make a DC-13 con save. And on a failed throw, the creature takes 1d10 psychic damage and becomes incapacitated with mad laughter for one minute. The creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns until or ending the mad laughter and the incapacitated condition on a success. Any humanoid that starts its turn within 10 feet of an infected creature in the throes of mad laughter must succeed on a DC-10 con save or also become infected with the disease. Once a creature succeeds on the save, it is immune to the mad laughter for the particular infected creature for 24 hours. So don't walk through a mob yeah. of laughing people. At the end of each long rest, an infected creature can make a DC-13 constitution save. On a successful save, the DC for the save and for the save to avoid an attack of mad laughter drops by 1d6. When the saving throw DC drops to zero, the creature recovers from the disease. A creature that fails three of these saving throws gains a randomly determined form of indefinite madness as described later in the chapter. Oh, wow. This just makes you lose your goddamn mind. How do we feel about this? Let's roll. I had an 11, but then I got knocked to a 15. I by got, Dave, who's going last with a two. Yes. Yeah. All right, so Dan, how do you feel about this? I love it. Do you? Oh, uh, I mean, it brings up one question, and you mentioned it with the mob of laughing people. If you walk through 15 people... you got to make the save over and over and over and over. 15 yeah. times? Okay, that's a logistical goddamn nightmare. But uh, I definitely would not make my player roll 15 d20s to make a dc 10. Like, uh, I would have to rework how that encounter goes. But um, as a disease itself, um, I really, really like it for a early tier two, like, clean this diseased city kind of, like, adventure arc, right? Um, beyond that, I mean, it it 1d4 hours after you contract it, it pops up, you said? Yep. So yeah, no, this uh, I this fits for the pacing of a game and everything. Like a lot of my problem with diseases as they've been in previous editions is three months later something happens. Yeah. Honestly, my answer is I absolutely hate this. This is a mechanical nightmare. Let me let me read this again to you. Let me I'm gonna grab excerpts. Systems manifest 1d4 hours later. Creature has to make a DC 13 constitution save, a 1d10 psychic damage. There's a DC 10 constitution save, uh, if you're within 10 feet. Uh, you are immune for 24 hours. There's another DC 13 constitution save after a long rest where you can drop potentially 1d6. When it drops to zero, then you're... There's too much math here. Yeah, fair enough. For 5th ed, this is insane. But this is way too complicated and your players will not keep track of this shit. Unless this is a major plot point where they're going to bother to learn how this works, I need to hand out a table. To everyone and say, so this is how this disease works. Just so you know, there there is a way. Because I'm rolling so much random shit. It's a DC 13 con now, DC 10 later. It's too much, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to feel like I'm picking on them. Yeah, fair enough. You started giggling one hour and you started giggling four hours later, right? And and now the DC for you drops. Now it's it's six or it's seven or like what? And But you're still, you still have to make it out of DC 12 because you only... Because I rolled a one behind my DM screen and how much to drop it by. It seems... Like, I understand why they did it. There's just too much shit. It's, it's convoluted and messy. Yeah, it is. I like the idea of it. 
this was overworked. Dave, how do, how do you feel? My problem with this is there's way too many ways to get out of it. Not all diseases are curable. Yeah. And it, it really feels like it is. Now, what was the last line again? It said something about later in the chapter. Um, indefinite madness, as described later in the chapter. So, I want to know more about that. But that, that's kind of my problem with this. Like, there are certain diseases that follow you around. Like, I can't get rid of this. You know, mm. this right here, Dan, I can't get rid of it. God, I've why, been to the doctor so many color? times. But he just, like, nothing. Creams, pills, you know, I've done all sorts of things. Did you, did you apply that cream to it, or is it just pussing? Yeah, no, it, it, it just does that. I have tried and tried. I've been to holistic healers, nothing. Some things won't go away. And that should be reflected. Go for it. Oh, no. I said someone. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, madness effects in the DMG, just to answer, by the way, there are short-term, long-term, and indefinite madness. Indefinite madnesses is a D100 chart. You get things, and it's it's in the first person perspective. This is very similar to the way that it works in um, Call of Cthulhu. No, in uh, all of the demon lords going mad. Like there's madness that comes with Demogorgon. Oh and yeah, someone, yeah, yeah, right. So being drunk keeps me sane is one of them. Uh, I must that's... bend the truth, exaggerate, or outright lie to be interesting to other people. That's a copo. That's not a long term disease. No, it's an indefinite madness. That's. Right. Yeah, it's madness. That's I've that's discovered madness. that I really like killing people. This just makes you like a sociopath or a psycho, or like, like it gives you it gives you a mental disorder. Be- and I and maybe because it is the laughing disease that does it. Sure, but that's a cover. Like that's not. You're gonna run into this. Every disease is curable in D anD. know, and that's my problem with it. All right, here's the next one: sewer plague. Sewer plague is a term for a broad category of illnesses that incubate in sewers, refuse heaps, and swamps, and that are sometimes transmitted by creatures that dwell in those areas, such as rats and otiugs. When a humanoid is bitten by a creature that carries a disease, or when it comes into contact with filth or offal contaminated by the disease, it must succeed on a DC-11 con save or become infected. It takes 1d4 days for sewer plague symptoms to manifest in an infected creature. So there you go, Dan. 1d4 days. Yeah, there it is. Symptoms include fatigue and cramps. The infected creature suffers one level of exhaustion and it regains only half the normal number of hit points from spending hit dice and no hit points after finishing a long rest. At the end of each long rest, an infected creature must make a DC 11 con saving throw. On a failed save, it gains one level of exhaustion. On a successful save, the character's exhaustion level dr- decreases by one level. If a successful saving throw reduces the infected creature's level of exhaustion below one, they recover from the disease. How do we feel? Same order. How do we feel about this? Messing with exhaustion is dangerous. Um, but again, th- th- there's too much math in this. This one it feels simpler on the math, but you're messing with healing hit points and stuff. This yeah. feels almost like a curse. And I don't know why they bothered to say there are many different kinds when they just give you one mechanical breakdown. Yeah. Right. For all of them here. That's because it allows you to put your own flavor on it. Not that things in the sewer should be flavored, but you, you know they often are poorly. Um, but symptoms can include fatigue and cramps. Here's my issue with disease in general: your players will not role play that disease. You will have to remind them every turn. Remember, you are also suffering from cramps. You are also dealing with this problem. You're even the best role players out there will avoid role playing a disease. 
I, I see this as being, and this is going to be a problem with a lot of diseases. I see them being afflictions your party must solve from arm's reach. They're not an internal thing that you target players with. These are just mechanics that the DM keeps track of about NPCs. These are more complicated condition effects that you've got to you've got to keep track of. Yeah. Right? And that's how all diseases in 5th Ed are run. That the, the one you just said, uh sewer, what was it? Plague. Sewer plague. That sounds like an infection to me. Yeah. Is it lethal? It can be if you get 6 levels of exhaustion. Uh, it's a DC 11 constitution save, so tier 1 uh, you got about a 50-50. It doesn't Anything seem... above that, you're just going to shake that off in about six days. You're going to be pissed off that you're moving at half speed for a while. Yeah. That doesn't seem useful. It's, it, right? it, it, it seems adversarial. Yeah, I feel like I'm just frustrating and pissing off two of my five players at the party. Yeah. Right. So. For something that they're eventually going to get past. Yeah. Like, there's no long-term... Oh, they're just going to stand a little bit close to the Paladin, and when they get another save, they'll be fine. Because mm-hmm. that's the other problem. These DCs are not high. No. Sight Rot. This painful infection causes bleeding from the eyes and eventually blinds the victim. A beast or humanoid that drinks water tainted by Sight Rot must succeed on a DC 15 con save... Or become infected. One day after infection, the creature's vision starts to become blurry. The creature takes a negative one penalty to attack rolls and ability checks that rely on sight. At the end of each long rest after the symptoms appear, the penalty worsens by one. When it reaches negative five, the victim is blinded until its sight is restored by magic such as lesser restoration or heal. Sight rot can be cured using a rare flower called eyebright, which grows in some swamps. Given an hour, a character who has proficiency with an herbalism kit can turn the flower into one dose of ointment. Applied to the eyes before a long rest, one dose of it prevents the disease from worsening after the rest. After three doses, the ointment cures the disease entirely. Dan? This feels like someone who worked in 3.5 was like, I, was I get to that. do a thing. Yeah, I, I was thinking This that. negative one to attacks and damage, negative one to attacks and damage. That is a 3.5 thing that does not exist anywhere else in fifth edition it's weird to me now on the plus it, side, it does pop up in some monster abilities i guess that's true on on the other side i like how it has the cure and i like how the cure can be a thing that you do right and and like go into the swamp find this rare flower find that like grind up this rare flower get enough rare flower for three ointments right like there's there's a certain procedure here that that could activate a adventure arc, so I like that. Why it doesn't just give you disadvantage on on sight things? Because I guess I guess because it needs to worsen, but like give you disadvantage and 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 then start giving you levels of exhaustion on top of it. Like it's weird it's, that you have negative penalty to attack rolls and ability checks. Right, and you negative one, then negative two, then negative three. Then you're blind, and all you have is disadvantage. There's no more negatives. Hmm. Because the blinded condition just gives you disadvantage. Blinded condition is not strong enough for this thing. It doesn't feel like it does it. No. It, well, it feels like the disease itself is bad. And but I mean, again, once it reaches the fifth penalty, you you are just blind. That's it. You will have a better time with your attacks then. Sorry, what causes it again? 
Um, bad water. Bad, yeah, if you drink bad water and fail a DC 15 con save. So, this is my favorite one. Yeah. Through and through. Like what you said about it being your three, someone. Yeah, your 3.5 is bleeding through. Well, it, it no, it's making sense. There's... there's there's more to it. It's more in depth. They do. They give you the the cure at the end. I like this as a trap that they like. Maybe uh, you know this goes off and they get this and it slowly starts to worsen over the next. Like hour. it splashes in their face. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like this. This isn't you drink bad water. You change that mechanic of it, and it can be really powerful. And this is how you you screw with. You know, you've got maybe a high tier party you've got a spellcaster who's just blowing everything up left right and center this is how you level the playing field for him and the rest of the party i i just love the idea make him rely on the magic missile that always hits that he doesn't have to see for or or even like a i like the idea of using this and forgive me for being a bit uh evil here but in like a siege mechanic shoot this into the sieging army yeah and like water balloons catapult a barrel in yeah right or to be more evil, if you are a sieging army, just toss this in there because most sieges are, uh, oh, like they're over entropy games, right? Like they're 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 all about um, out surviving what they can do. You block off uh, food and, and and resource routes so that whoever's in the walls starves to death. So you just walk through and poke the ones that are left, right? Like this, okay, guys. We just gotta wait five days. Everyone got their, you know. One week's of rail trashings ready. We're good to go. All right. I got one more disease, and it's a homebrew one that Dan ran into. Dave, I don't know if you're aware of this. Just the blood plague thing? Yeah. Yeah. So I included the idea of a blood plague. And the blood plague simply is that um, there was an event where every single creature of the same race suddenly started to cough up a small amount of blood. And you have six days to fix what the mechanic is, or they will cough up enough blood, their lungs will turn to soup, and they will just hack up blood. Now, it's not... There is no transmuting this to someone else, or there's no uh, transmitting this disease. Yeah. So it's just a slow countdown of death for everyone of this race. Which was weird, because the gnomes in Adam's world had all just died off, and then here comes my gnome rogue investigator walking around everyone's all i had this little bit of like plot shield because no one wanted to be the person who killed the last gnome (laughs) yeah he came he fell through a portal and landed into this world that had just lost every gnome in it but you guys then watch your little eight-year-old kenku child start vomiting up blood and the panic set in right and we were so smart with our fix on that one adam what did we do you left him with some hags yeah did it work no uh yes they held it at bay and then they sacrificed him and used him for a por- for a potion. So, um, you're a bad man. Well, don't leave your eight year old child with hags. I don't feel like that's on me. I feel like that's on stupid players. But the idea that, in my defense, I thought it was a bad idea. Who really pushed that one through? Terry. Yeah, that was Terry. Of course, it was Terry. So anyway, how do we feel about that? That's heavy-handed. That was plot device only, no mechanic involved. Oh, if 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 my rogue had dropped in this world just before the blood plague hit, and I had six days to figure out what was causing it, how to stop it, and then go stop it, 
and it was across the entire world? I mean, that is adversarial DMing. As a plot point, um, and having played through it as a plot point, having a precious NPC succumb to this, um, it was good. It was intriguing. I would very specifically not have it target my players unless they were well aware of what the blood play could do before any of them got it. So I very much did telegraph that to everyone. Yes. And I said, I'm going to put every D&D race on a table. I'm going to roll for it randomly whenever a blood play kicks off. And if you happen to be that, you've got a timer on your head. No mechanical issue until suddenly... Death. Death. Lung soup. So... Lung bisque. Dave, how do you feel about that? I mean, that seems... Instead of plague, if you use magical thing, you know... Yeah. It's... It's the same thing. It's it's the same magic, thing. It, it was a magical countdown. Right, right. like what, what was the what was Chult all about? There was the, the people that come back from the dead. No, people specifically not coming back from the dead. No, but if you did, you had a counter on you and you would... There was something like that, right? right okay, all I'm getting at, I don't need to know the details. All I'm getting at is that this is a well-established mechanic that is even written into modules. Like, yeah, no, great, go for it. As a plot device, it makes sense. If you're going to use it to just mess with that one player here and there, that's, I think, bad DMing. So that brings me to my question. Uh, by the way, Dan, it was anyone that had come back from the dead previously. Uh, was suffering this thing. The, yeah. the plague that we were thinking of is if you died within the jungles of Chult, within the mist that was moving through, yeah. that mist is what carried it, within a certain amount of time, you would come up as undead under the thrall of... Uh, the bad guy. The bad guy. Well, the second bad guy. Sure. in Yeah. All right, so uh, let's roll initiative on this. I want to know, how do you guys include diseases in a campaign then? I think we've answered this, but let's do it anyway. I got a 10. 14. 14. Dave, roll off. 5. 17. All right. Uh, plot device. Yeah. That, that's that's it. And I think, are we all in agreement with that? Can we just move on? Yes. Like The idea that disease, if I want to hit someone with a disease for a mechanical, in a mechanical way... I'm doing it again for a plot device. They, yeah. They've got to hunt down the antidote. That You could have solved the blood plagues at any point if you had said this is a priority, right? Um, and it was always just around the corner. But going to find an antidote, that's not so much a disease to me as it is a poison. And that's what it, that's what it feels like. Right? So diseases themselves. Also, I hate the fact that we can just heal 70 people at a time when we get high enough levels as... As clerics, lay on hands. We'll just cure a disease if you use five. Five! Five! That's fucking nothing. That should be your daily allotment of. Yeah. To cure disease on one person. Yeah, at level, what, five, you're able to cure the whole party? Well, a a paladin, I don't like how a paladin is just straight up immune to disease at level three. And honestly, that feels like it should be for druids more than anything else. Yeah, right? Like, I, for me, um, Magical disease, things like the three we've seen here, the stuff in um, that older editions, things like mummy rot and ghoul fever and all these other great diseases uh, that have existed previously. Um, having them listed as a magical disease so that even your paladins could come become stricken with them, I love it. I, I'm down with it. Yeah, if you can bypass the paladin bullshit. Right? You're down with the sickness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, ah. yeah there yeah. we go. Um, okay, so same order, then. Um, one disease that you would like to see in D&D. What is one 
one disease that you think should exist in Dungeons and Dragons. One real world disease? No, 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 no. You can make this up. This can be a magical disease even. Like, and, and I'm going first. My big thing is I want psychic diseases. Okay. What aren't these just madnesses? No, no, no. Transmittable madnesses? Not, no, no. This is something that is going to slowly turn your brain to soup. But you get it psychically just by being within someone who is thinking too hard. Like being within range of someone who is thinking too hard. The Kalishtar would have some defenses against this. This might be something that the mind flayers create and let loose through the Underdark. Oh, just to make brains extra uh, supple? Yeah, or just or just make... Flavorful. Yeah. And maybe you just have one intelligence. Every D4 days, you lose one intelligence. Okay. Right? And so there's no real big psychic damage hitting you or anything. You are just slowly becoming dumber and dumber and dumber. And this is a disease that's spreading. And the harder you think the more that you're likely to spread your stupidity. I like that because that's a weird magical mechanical thing that we don't see anywhere else. Okay. All right, all right. I like that. Uh, the one thing that I've found that's missing is permanent ability drain. You're going to get a lot of pushback in 5th edition for that, but I agree with you as a dungeon master. Yeah, I, I, I don't care about pushback. My problem... No, no, I'm fresh to fifth edition still, right? Like I'm yeah. still learning the ropes on it. My big problem is it's not deadly. You're playing on easy mode. Yes, but welcome to fifth edition. You I know, and and that's what I don't like about it. There are certain things that you like. You have talked over and over again about attacking the character sheet. Some things just seem untouchable, and that's wrong. Well, and that's why we have things like intellect devours that are so scary. Mm-hmm. Right, because those things are two hit kill. You fail, you fail your save twice. You're dead, right? And it scares the shit out of people. Now, I'm not a big fan of the save or die mechanic in the first place, but you're right. Things need to hit harder, right? Not even hit harder, but hit permanently. I don't like. Okay, so this is me. I don't like earlier than three point five because you could lose levels. Oh yeah, and that, that that shit was just a pain in the ass. Right, so there's. I agree with you to a to a point, but there are some things where you're just going to end up accidentally crippling your paladin's charisma permanently. You could lose levels in three point five. Could you? Yeah. There yeah. Were negative levels. Yeah, there were. Also, as an artificer, you have to spend experience to make things. Oh yeah, that's that right. I forgot about that. So, like, there are ways, right? There were, but it's just nothing in D. Nothing in fifth edition is forever. Even a lot of these effects that do manage to impact what's going on you get to save again at the end of the next round lesser restoration will will cure every it'll be fine after a long rest and what level do you get lesser restoration at level two right like it's just well second level spells so level three sure but there's no tier one there's no high stakes yeah right and these are interesting mechanics that i normally choose to not play with uh but they could be so much more if they did more, if they did something exclusive, if these were the only ways to attack that section of the sheet, you'd use them. Yeah, I agree with that. For me, um, I want to see a disease that is in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. It already exists, but I want to see more of it and I want it to be varied. And that is the um, impregnation... Of humanoid creatures that slod do. 
dropping their little egg inside of you. Their tadpole? Their tadpole. To grow and then erupt out of you in bloody, gory mess. But I want to see things like, maybe someone becomes an Edgar suit. There's a slot. From the inside out. Yeah. Right? You want to see more more wasting away from the inside as a sentient creature yeah. takes you over? Those of you who have listened to the Call of Cthulhu series, the idea of having like worms and parasites and whatnot is something that I find especially creepy. And whenever I want to evoke that creepy, there will usually be something along those in my games. Um, having the chestburster moment from Alien. My next right? wizard familiar is going to be a tapeworm. Or just a series of ringworms. No, no. That's... Just just one tape. I got to feed it, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid onions. Um, so. Why? Did you guys not, do you not know that old wives tale? No. Oh, if you have a tapeworm or, or one of those things, uh, bite into an onion and it'll hold it in your mouth for a little bit and it'll come up. Is like a old folk remedy. I don't want them for... coming up. Then again, I don't want them going out the other end either. There's no good way to get rid of a no, tapeworm. No, no, if you grab it when it comes to the other end and pull, it tickles on the way out. Well, if it's long enough, you could technically get flossed with a friend on each end. <laughs> God damn both of you. It's gonna, you know what, never mind. We've spent enough time on this. Yeah. What, what's next? <laughs> uh, I was, the next question was going to be, how do you guys want to make a disease actually stick? Which is what you were talking about, Dave. There's no permanence yeah. to this, right? Um, but... I think that's just that's just DM fiat, right? Like yeah. by not having by not having lesser restoration work or lay on hands work, you just make it a magical disease, and you can hand wave anything from there, right? The the one thing I do want to bring up is that on the three point five character sheet, it had your ability score and then ability modifier, and then temporary ability score and temporary ability modifier, and like it was the sheet was made to accommodate for this. Yeah, for diseases and you getting whittled away in different ways and stuff. Right, and that's just... It, you can tell they just wanted done with it. Uh, this just occurred to me. Another fun way to attack the character sheet, because with disease, this is one of the best ways to attack other spots of the character sheet that do not get attacked enough. Remove hit dice. Yeah, I like removing hit dice. I was also thinking max hit points is something yeah. that you're going to see a lot of with, with uh, diseases. This is where I would come from. I don't want it to whittle away... Hit points. That's just bleeding out. That's just uh, poison, right? But that's why you get the ability, the constitution ability drain, right? Yeah. So if you end up dropping two, you end up, your modifier goes down one, you're level seven, you drop seven hit points. Period. Yeah. So anyway, um, I think we're, we're, we're good. good. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next one. It's kind of related. There's not a mechanic that I can find for it. And I did do a bit of a deep dive. Scarring. How do we feel about scarring? Let, let's roll initiative on this. So I'm going last. Dave, you're going first. What I mean by scarring is not an injury. I mean like surface level scars. Um, things that are going to make you ugly. Uh, so I like the idea of using scars. I think we talked about it in the Barbarian episode to like scarification. Instead yeah, of tattoos, yeah. that level scars. Uh, they... they uh... Not just uh, half works was where we talked about it as well. Who will proudly display their scars and actively want people to ask them about them so they could tell the story of how they generated that scar. But I mean, you do even find things like that. Not all, not every day, but occasionally in the real world. I mean, you know, if someone's walking around, if you're at the beach, 
You know the people that had their appendix out. You can talk to them about that, right? You I know? don't recommend that. I don't do not go up to people and be like, "How'd you get that scar?" Sure, but like you know, like there's it's there are things noticeable scars that mean something on people. I am honestly the person that does that. I I, I like. I'm not surprised, Dan. Fuck off. <laughs> but like, I find sometimes people want to actually tell that story. Um, I. I it's my one awkward way thing. I think that is really awkward. Uh, I have been. A fly on the wall when someone has asked someone else about, hey, what's with the scar? And I ask it a lot nicer than that. Sure, yeah, I'm just paraphrasing here. But the person will give some long convoluted story that you know is just utter bullshit. But it's a good story. Yeah, I I have done shit like that in the past as well. Anytime that I have, like, oh, you know, I've got a cut on my arm and it, it's noticeable. So, oh, what's that? Well, I live kind of near the woods and there are a lot of bears nearby. Right, I'm going to bullshit my way through this story. Yeah, and see I, the scar right here, Dan? I saved six children from a burning school bus. To be fair, he lit the bus on fire first. <laughs> and then said, you and six put, didn't roll high enough. So <laughs> you six stay. Exactly. <laughs> I, I legitimately told people for a few years after I got my appendix removed that I got in a knife fight and it was a knife wound. I know a friend who's done that as well. Like, yeah. it, People lie about scars. It's a conversation... <laughs> Uh, it was a knife fight with a doctor. I was asleep <laughs> and I lost. <laughs> All right. So speaking of that, how do you guys determine mechanically what is going to leave a scar in D&D? Because your guys get cut to shit in every combat. You've been blown up, lit on fire, half drowned. You've been dragged by horses and stabbed repeatedly, pierced by arrows and crossbow bolts, and yet everybody's walking around shiny brand new. How do you determine when a scar should be left? Let's, let's roll for it. Twelve. I got a six. I got a ten. Dave. Uh, so I don't. I never have. And it's probably something I could do that would be real easy. Now, I went full Dan on this one and did zero prep for today's Sure. Uh, episode, except looking this up. And what I came across was there was someone on Reddit who had mentioned that they give their players a scar every time they drop to zero and start doing death saves. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. You that, piece of shit. Yeah, they stole that. Could be. Right? Like, I'm actually, not... actually, was that one of my alternates? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I run around and troll Reddit quite frequently. So that might have been one of mine. But Could be. I, like That's exactly... I, not mine. I don't use it, but I found this. Yeah. And it, it you know what? Yeah. That, that I is, like that. That is legitimately my answer. However, I have, have a caveat on that as well. This may give me one of my alternates away if they're like, hey, that's what the other guy said. And Dan knows this. When you drop below zero, the scar that you get is specifically from that attack. Not even that multi-attack that hit you, but that single slice of the blade or tusk or that, that bl- thing that blew up. You, that acid scar, that... Uh, um, when you got scalped repeatedly. Whatever it is, yeah. right? So so when you you lose consciousness and you get this permanent scar. However, you, the player, get to choose where it is as long as it makes sense. So if I say you get hit on the back, you can choose where on the back it is. How big it is, as long as it makes sense with the weapon or the kind of damage that you took. Yeah. Right? Bludgeoning is gonna leave, you know, a, a large like puckered mark on your back as opposed to a slash or a or an arrow hole or whatever. And so as we went on throughout the campaign. I basically was a walking scab. 
Yeah, and you weren't the only one. There were like everyone was walking around beat to shit. My by the end of it. my favorite was the shambling mound. Um, the we fought the the queen of the jungle or whatever it was, and she was basically just a advanced shambling mound. Yeah, and uh, my little gnome character got dropped to unconscious by just one of the tendril attacks. I think is what it was. But uh, no, I was within it, and it was crushing me. That's what it was. That's yeah. what it was. And when I walked out, and Adam's like, "What? What is your scar?" I'm like, "I, like, all of my bones are broken in my body and pierced through the skin." So Lockie had like little loony-sized like dots all over his body from where all of his bones were crushed and pierced through the skin before he got the resurrection magic. Yeah. Yikes. So I'm I'm a big fan, but let the players choose because. When I sit there and I say, hey, look, you have this massive scar on your face. Well, this person chose an elf bard to be beautiful. That's what they want to do, right? And now I'm taking away their agency from character creation. And as much as that might be a fun story for you as a DM to tell, that's not what you should be doing. So I let the players choose. You're going to get a scar. It has got to be roughly this big. But you can choose exactly what it is. So that way you can have that... The, the scar that goes over your eye or um, the uh, like up the cheek from from corner of the mouth up to the ear or you can get really specific with I don't know why I got these scars yeah I, you could do that if you wanted right but that way you you have some sort of agency as an arcane trickster which one of your hands needs to have a glove on it right in order yeah. to, to keep your your scarring from being distracting. My my only thing about scarring is, um, as with real life, scars tell a story. Scars uh, should persist. I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but uh, it should be hard to remove a scar that you get. Right? Like, I, I, I feel like Greater Restoration would do it, but at the same time, I really don't want to trust a fifth level spell for Greater Restoration. Why? That feels too soon. It's level seven. Sorry, I'm just thinking about, you said remove a scar, and I went to John Travolta, or Nicolas Cage, getting his face back, and yeah. then, I'm not going to need this scar anymore. Sorry, that's where I went. You went to face off? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, no. Face. Off. off. Yeah. So, I actually addressed this in my campaign as well, and it's, it's one of the uh, spells that I created. We had lesser restoration, we have greater restoration, but we don't have... Medium restoration? Yeah, restoration. Just restoration. So, uh, greater restoration is level 5, and lesser restoration is level 2. Like, second level spell and fifth level spell, right? Yeah. So, restoration is something that you can choose as a fourth level spell. It's lesser restoration, except it removes scarring. It will remove one scar permanently per casting. Hmm. Why not? Your D&D players are most of the time walking around as if they've never gotten a scar in the first place. And so you might as well add a mechanic in. If they're going to get scars, they should be able to remove them. And a fourth level spell hurts. Especially if you're doing it over and over again. Because by the time that you've got it, chances are everyone at the party is like, okay, me first. Yeah, oh my right. god, I've got like 15 of these things. So so that's what I did. Uh, there is, It's right in one of the, um, one of the spells. I want to say heal. But it might be one of the others, seventh level or above healing spells. Um, you can go listen actually to episode 
37A, where we did our healing magic one. And there's one that specifically talks about this will heal all scars. Yeah. And it is so out of the blue because it's the only time anywhere in 5th edition that they talk about gaining scars like that. So, um, so you do get it at 7th level as well automatically, but I like it as a restoration kind of thing as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like the idea of scars being a little bit more persistent, especially uh, just to pair with like magical diseases and stuff. If, if there is some sort of magical effect that has given you a, a constant angry burn or something like a permanent scar that is magically infused in some way shape or form it should be harder to remove it and i, I like having this as a uh um a, a campaign plot point right maybe you have great restoration and then extreme restoration which will get rid of magical scars magically inflicted scars yeah, yeah. something like that like you could you could build a mechanic for this and i don't think it's going to break your game but here's something they've got, and we're going to jump into this in a minute here. They've got a list about injuries in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, they've got a D20 table, and if you roll an 11 to 13, you get horrible scar. You're disfigured to the extent that the wound can't be easily concealed. You have disadvantage on uh, persuasion checks and advantage on intimidation checks. Magical healing of 6th level or higher, such as heal and regenerate, removes the scar. Regenerate was the one, not heal. Okay, yeah. Um, such as heal and regenerate removes the scar. Do we like that? Yeah. Is it enough? No. Should it have that mechanical advantage and disadvantage? Uh, no. I don't, I don't like the... Um, I don't like the mechanical advantage and disadvantages on Persuade because... Um, as we have said many times, mostly directed to me, charisma is not necessarily the looking pretty. Mm -hmm. So how you look shouldn't affect your persuade and your intimidate and your everything else. I like you. Day. I like you leaning on it a little bit for intimidation, but that's as far as it would go. Yeah. Right, and and it's just it is something that I as a DM would lessen the DC if the player brought it up in that. Uh, social encounter. Yeah, I'm not giving right. advantage or disadvantage. I'm not giving you advantage or disadvantage on any, every single persuasion or every single intimidate from here on out because you have, you know, a, a you know, Doctor Evil scar. No, that's not that's not happening. But I mean, if you go, no, man, I'm going to call out this scar and say, you know, I've experienced pain before, and I will put that on you just as bad as I got it. No, yeah, man, I'll give I'll give you a little boost there. By reducing that DC. That's the most I'll do. Dave, what that, do you think? You know what? I agree with Dan. That's why DCs are able to be shifted Tweet. and changed. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of that that is not talked about in the DMG. It's all advantage and disadvantage. And like, I hate the fact that the DCs are 5 is easy, 10 is medium... Yeah. You know, uh, 15 is hard and 20 is deadly. And I'm sitting there going, no, it fucking isn't. 10 is not medium. 10 is easy. It is. Yeah. And when you get some things like the Inquisitive Rogue and shit. Uh, five is trivial. Yeah. 20 is easy. If the DC is five, I'm not going to make you roll that. And that's pretty much it. Sometimes I will say, hey, look, there is. Yes, I know that this is a party of rogues, but there is a patrol. Everybody roll. Nobody botch. How many times have I said to Dan, yeah. as long as you roll a two or above, you're fine? Yeah, I've used that as well. I mean, the the whole, just, I don't, they'll ask me what the DC is, which I never tell them and they still keep asking. 
uh, you know, as long as you don't roll a one, you're good, right? Like, the, the, yeah. we, don't, we don't need to spend time. On you, there's this. a 5% chance that you will just fail at this. However, yeah. you got this, right? Um, and so, I feel like having scars affect your ability to do things seems a little bit wrong. But injuries, however, are another topic. But first, let's cut to a commercial. Hi everybody, it's Adam. Once again, we're dedicating a full episode to conditions and condition effects in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. And we can't have these conversations without discussing our old friend, WildBot 3D. WildBot 3D has really revamped their website since the last time we discussed them on the show, and you should definitely check out the updated options there. They still have those glorious tracker rings that display the conditions in 3D on your gaming table, and they fit so beautifully around standard medium-sized minis and cover nearly everything we've been discussing on these condition-heavy episodes. They're color-coded, easy-to-read, unique, and fun to add to all of your D&D games. I use them in my own game all the time, and I've come to rely on them to keep track of which character has what spell or condition affecting them. My personal favorite is the Enlarged Tracker, but they're all great for both DMs and players alike to buy. Monks that stun, clerics that curse, and warlocks that hex, there are tracker rings for you in here too. But WildBot 3D offers more than just these tracker rings now. There are also unique character sheets for martial and caster classes, there's beautiful dice, and hilarious D&D themed t-shirts. My next purchase is going to be the Initiative Tracker Rings, which help display who's going in which order, and are incredibly useful for keeping track of multiple monsters on your map. These things are a game changer, so head on over to wildbot3d.com and check them out on Instagram. But for now, let's head on back to the discussion. Okay, so scars are surface level. Injuries are debilitating injuries. I don't mean like you get a hangnail. Dave, remember that episode we talked about hangnails where you could like roll that hangnail up your finger? No. And it would like keep going and I going. I said and no. Like a, <laughs> like a foot long hangnail getting ripped up your arm. I feel like it would spiral a little around so it would be like inside the Well, it's like a little trough of just pain that goes up your <laughs> finger into like, and like it would get, it would hit your weenus. Oh no 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 oh, no! I want it on the inside. Oh, you want it on the inside? Yeah. So my my okay. thing about it is it's pink and it's wet looking on the inside. It doesn't but necessarily it's like, bleed. It's like, it's like hard. It's like a little like callus, right? <laughs> Dave's <laughs> losing his <laughs> shit. <laughs> Bye, Dave. Love you, Dave. I'm no longer bringing you coffee. <laughs> what a bitch. He'll get over it. So, so injuries. Now they do cover these in the DMG. However, it is half of a page. Yep. It's not really addressed, and I know a lot of people deal with this, especially if you're running with crit tables. So, let's see what the DMG has to say. Damage normally leaves no lingering effects. God damn it. This option introduces the potential for long-term injuries. It's up to you to decide when to check for a lingering injury. A creature might sustain a lingerie... A, bleh, bleh, a lingerie? Some lingerie. A creature might sustain some lingerie. Continue. But, <laughs> slower. Yeah. But it's a secret from Victoria. A creature might sustain a lingering injury under the following circumstances. When it takes a critical hit. When it drops to zero hit points but isn't killed outright. When it fails a death saving throw by five or more. Oh, that's a good one too. To determine the nature of the injury, roll on the lingering injuries table. The table assumes a typical humanoid physiology, but you can adapt the results for creatures with differing body types. So... 
Again, it's the 1 to 20 table. I already talked about the horrible scar. We have lose an eye, which is disadvantage on wisdom checks. Uh, magic such as regenerate uh, will actually bring it back. So if you have no eyes, um, after sustaining this injury, you're blinded. I'll just play a beholder PC. It'll be fine. Uh, lose an arm or hand. So you can't hold anything that requires two hands. You can only hold a single object at a time, and magic such as regenerate can restore the lost appendage. Do every single one of these regenerate can restore blank, blank, blank? Uh, not all of them, but most of them. Okay. Uh, lose a foot or leg. The speed on foot is halved, and you must use a cane or crutch to move unless you have a peg leg or other prosthesis. You fall prone after using the dash action. You have disadvantage on dexterity checks made to balance and regenerate. Okay, my question. If you lose a foot or leg and your speed is reduced by half... I feel like if you're a centaur, your speed should be reduced by three or by one quarter. That's that's a fair assessment. Right? Yeah. And then if you lose another one, you're a centaur that moves half speed, well, no. walking on your back legs. Like, this is great. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, Just, I, like, I, awkwardly standing there on the back legs. No, yeah. no, no. Front legs only. Or, no, I'll do you one better. Back, left, front, right. Oh, God. So, limp. Your speed... Yes, that character would, would be... <laughs> yeah, limp. he would limp, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, limp. You have erectile dysfunction. <laughs> no. Your speed on foot is reduced by 5 feet. You must take a DC 10 deck save after using the dash action. If you fail the save, you fall prone. Magical healing, period, removes the limp. Bullshit. Internal injury... Whenever you attempt an action in combat, you must make a DC 15 con save. On a failed save, you lose your action and can't use reactions till the start of your next turn. This injury heals if you receive magical healing or if you spend 10 days doing nothing but resting. I fell on my keys. Yeah, I'm okay with that one. Magical healing as in like a regenerate restoration? I'm going to say potion even counts. That's, yeah. That's weak. Your paladin comes over and like delicately caresses the side of your face and yeah. you're fine. No, that's weak. Broken ribs. This has the same effect as internal injury above, except the save DC is 10. The other one was 15. So I assume that the internal injury we're talking about before was punctured lung. Oh, it's it's a significant internal injury. Because yeah. I go like, broken ribs are fairly high on my list of shit I don't want to happen to me. So. Yeah, no, like, internal, in <sighs> that's weak. Yeah, okay. Uh, festering wound. Your hit point maximum is reduced by one every 24 hours. The wound persists. If your hit point maximum drops to zero, you dead. The wound heals if you does receive it like that. <laughs> it does yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> the, the wound heals. You dead. The wound heals if you receive magical healing. Alternatively, someone can tend to the wound and make a DC fifteen medicine check once every twenty four hours. After ten successes, the wound heals. So this is a festering wound. This is something that is very very wrong. Just start again, early going over and spending one point of lay on hands. We'll fix it. Five points. Is it remove disease or is it... No, 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 no. no, no. Just, just five points. Doesn't it say just magical healing of some kind? If you receive magical healing, you're right. Yep. So one point. Oh, yeah. Like, this, it should be minimum five, right? If, if you're going to make this on the same level as remove disease, it should cost the same. Yeah, if, you have, a, if you have a small village full of uh, festering wounds... Uh, your paladin just okay, guys. Give me three days. Done. This just, honestly, using these just seems like I'm picking on the players because I'm going to be doing that damage anyways, and to get over it is trivial. So I'm just adding 
more to the process Honestly, without I, any payoff. I disagree with you. I think this is a this is flavorful. This this adds consequence. There's one more. Oh, sorry. Minor scar. The scar doesn't have any adverse effect. Magical healing of sixth level or higher, such as heal and regenerate, removes the scar. I'm glad you interrupted me for that one. Yes, my point stays the same. <laughs> but like, I hate the fact that there is no persistent consequence to taking damage in this game like i it does not make sense to me why some people adventure and the majority of people stay as farmers because there's no prolonged consequence for this uh, other than outright death right but law of numbers someone's going to come away as a as a massive hero with no ill effect right so me like, I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I like the fact that there's persistent damage. There's scarring. I like the festering wound stuff. I like the the internal bleeding stuff. Because that's not really addressed in any other way in this game. So, my problem with it, again, I can heal your broken bone with one point of lay on hands. But I need a sixth level healing spell or higher to get rid of that little scar that you have. Oh, my issue is how it's cured, how it's how it's removed. Yeah, it's yeah. not scaled right. No. I have a solution. Let's create a healer NPC stat block. And depending on what you want to get healed, you have to go to them. They're a specific kind of necromancer that deals with healing spells. And and it will cost you money. And just make this a thing that is in the background. You know how in the back of the Monster Manual you get all the NPC stat blocks? Just make this one of the really important ones. You can go to a healer and get this done. But Eberron does that with House Galanda, the healing. It does. Or Jurasco. Uh, It's Jurasco. Jurasco. Right? Like, they are a restoration company, right? Like, that's what they do. Yeah. You're welcome, Dan. Um, so I've worked like, for a restoration company before, and fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like that already exists. Yes, but we don't have a stat block for it. And the stat block that I want to include, see, this is my problem with all the diseases. I want a table of what the disease is called, what kind of damage and shit that it does, how you get it, and what the name of the cure is, how rare is it, right? Yeah. I want a couple of tables of this in the Dungeon Master's Guide too. Whatever they release the next DMG, right? So, uh, and I want that for for healing as well, where you can just you know that hey, I took I got this scar, I can go get it healed up for a hundred gold pieces, or we can go buy some more adventuring shit and get this this story going right. Like, yeah. Is it worth it for you to do this? And maybe for the bard it is, and for the barbarian it isn't, and it you can really deal with the idea of vanity. And whatnot. But I don't want scars or injuries to affect charisma. Would you guys have an injury affect other ability checks, though? Yes. If you have a broken arm, your strength is affected. Yeah. If you have a broken leg, leg, your dex is affected. If you have internal bleeding, your con is affected. If you have a concussion, your int is affected. I noticed that there's no concussion on here. That was going to be something that I brought up as well. Yeah. Um... If you have a concussion, your wisdom is like, what's a good wisdom one? That's street smarts. Uh, oh, if, you if, say you if, had concussions. If, if, you have, <laughs> if, if you have taken on to a cult, your wisdom is affected, right? Like it's... You've been afflicted by Scientologists. Yes, right? 
So Don't sue us, for fuck's sakes. We have no money. You're wasting your time. <laughs> but, like, uh, yes, I would have them do that. And if the player is okay with it and we've talked about it, yes, I would have things affect physical appearance and charisma. Right? Um, but as with all of these, this comes with a discussion of the player where it's like, I am going to attack other parts of your character sheet. Here's how they will look. This is an option, and this is something you cover in your session zero. I absolutely hate the regenerate spell. Yeah, get rid of it. It just undoes all of this shit. And I know it's a high-level spell, but come on. You have it by tier three. Yep. And it just undoes everything we've worked towards at this point. I mean, it it is it is a high-level spell. So, like, if you have been playing with a you know, peg leg from level four when you accidentally got a bit off by a dire shark, then, I mean, you're, you have earned the, the regrowth of regeneration by the time you're mid tier three. All right. Grab dice. I want to hear, would you want to play with these kind of injuries, these ideas about diseases, the idea of scarification as a player? Would you sign up for that? If a DM says, Hey, I want to do this. Not 20. A tree. I got a 17. Dave, Uh, not as a DM now, but as a player, are you interested in this? Yes, but also no. Uh, Yes, if it's laid out in a session zero and I'm okay with things attacking the sheet. I'm I'm not okay with you wasting my time to make me roll that extra check that is going to be not beneficial or add anything to the story. If all it is doing is adding... A little bit of flavor and it happens all the time and you're, you're just taking away my ability to be productive as a player and I don't like that but if you're actually going to be useful with it it's going to be you know have payoff for it to happen yeah go for it sure so as long as as long as there is a reason behind it yeah mm-hmm. okay um honestly for me I as a player do not want to deal with this shit I've got enough other stuff going on there are enough other condition effects D&D is not built for this. There are other game systems out there where you have ongoing... They got rid of the bleed effect, right? They got rid of the bloodied effect. They got rid of of surprise. They have dumbed 5th edition down so much that for 5th edition, adding in diseases and scarifications... As someone who has done this, who has lopped limbs off of players, but as someone who has gone through this... I would say that I'm not going to do this anymore. Like I don't, I don't like this. It adds an extra level of nonsense to to the game mechanic that takes away from the story. And as much as, as much as you, I could make a story about disease or see scarification was a big factor in the last session mm-hmm. um, or in the last campaign, and so was the the blood plagues and everything else. That won't be a thing in the next campaign. So I'm not bringing that mechanic in. Maybe I'll bring in honor. Or piety. And not sanity. These are variant rules to me. Mm-hmm. And as a player, I'm not interested in playing that. I want to play straight up heroic D&D. Because that's what 5th Ed is. 5th Ed is the story of how these heroes became heroes. Yeah. Not the danger of swamp water. Right? Or <laughs> how shitty you are at singing because you have a scar on your eye. For me, I would love to have persistent scars persistent even status like status effect style drain happen on my character 
as a player. I like the idea that there is consequence to my actions and consequence to um, luck just not going my way and having the dice reflect that, having the uh, these things reflect that. Now, on the same hand, I would not put this in the game frequently. Like, this is when shit goes wrong, you lose a leg. When shit goes wrong, you get a concussion and you're dummied for a bit. Like, there is a certain amount of uh, frequency that it implies where if you use this rule for injuries, it's going to happen all the time. Each time you fall to zero hit points. Nah, I don't... That is too much. No, you're right. You use this at the boss level fight. doesn't matter the tier. And in order to use that restoration spell, the caster has to waste his turn to do it and it is fixed by the time you move on from this battle you're not getting this from you know zombie a in the catacombs oh uh well i mean if zombie a in the catacombs roll stupid like i you briefly mentioned having these things pop up on like a crit table uh so you roll a d20 and then you roll another set of dice to determine where on this crit table you land and then some of those options might give you these yes I'm okay with that, unless there's a fighter, what what champion fighter in the group. What's interesting to me is Dave and I were really, really interested in exploring the diseases and the crazy shit in Chult, and you hated the mechanics of it. Yes. And now here we are talking about diseases and scars and injuries, and Dave and I are like, as a player, nah, maybe not. And you're like, yep, do it. Oh, well, so like, I, I feel like we flipped a bit. Injuries, yes. I do not give two shits about diseases. Diseases in Dungeons & Dragons seem pointless to me. Mostly because there's magical healing and it gets rid of him anyways. And you have classes in the game that are full on fucking immune by third level. By the time your paladin goes, no, this is really what I want. This is my oath. By the time your paladin gets his defining feature, he's also immune to disease. Like, come on. Right? I don't like disease in this game unless there is a magical weight to it. And it is a plot point and campaign arcing. It is very important if there's a disease in my game and it is not just a hand wave with a couple arcane words is going to get rid of it, right? So, however, scars, limb loss, stuff like that, I definitely want around. Dan's next character is going to get castrated. Please, no. Please, no. No. Um, I, I did want to... I, I don't know how this is going to go with you guys, but I did want to bring this up. The whole idea of losing limbs and then having, as a player, the ability to target specific limbs in a called shot. Um, as for rules in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, I don't think there are any that are established for how to do a called shot. Um, in some of the modules, it will say, if you want to target this one thing, you have to roll a blank to be able to do it. Right. And that's as close as you get to called shots. A called shot, for those of you listening who don't know... Is when you specifically say, I want to hit that eye, or I want to like lop his hand off, or whatever. It's not about the damage, it's about targeting a body part. It's eight ball corner pocket. You are calling where your shot is going to go, right? Um, and in the heat of combat, that is next to fucking impossible. Um, so, to me, a called shot, the opponent has to be prone, and you have to have someone in control. Right? Like, you have to be able to hold that arm down and then ch- chop it off. You're not going to be lopping an arm off in the middle of combat. I, the, I agree. Yeah. The, the reason is... That's coup de gras to me, though. That's different. <laughs> sure. But the, the reason is, is that when I... If I'm going to... Like, as a DM, if I'm going to make a called shot against my player, that's not 
super fair. I'm, I'm going to lop his arm off eventually, and he is going to lose his ability. I take away agency, right? And if the player gets to do that to me, he's taking away my agency as a DM, and I don't want him to do that either. Now, if you've already won the battle and you want to make a point and pop his eye out or whatever, go for it. Fine. You the the already, encounter's done. Exactly. Yeah. But if you're going to do admitting, no, 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 move on. Combat is too chaotic to do that in, um, like, even as a level 20 fighter, if you're a level 20 dex based fighter or a level 20 rogue, I don't think you have that level of um, capability to do that in the, in the midst of combat with all the other equal level 20 random magic bullshit happening at that time. You have to really justify it to me and make it good. Right. I am going to hard disagree with both of you on this. But I have a mechanic for this. Okay. The called shot, because it does come up occasionally, especially when I'm dealing with things like Beholders or uh, Medusa, where it's specifically the one body part that matters. Well, yeah, even the in Theros, the Tromocratus, you have to beat its carapace and then kill its four hearts. Yeah, yeah. Right? so there are times where this is going to come up and where players are going to get really, really creative with, with how to remove the... I'm going to slash at the vocal cords of the harpy, right? Like, they're going to really target one thing, and I'm fine with that. But what I do is I take the AC, yeah. I ram that AC up by 10... So whatever it is, you're gonna you're gonna have a hard uh, hard time doing this, and I also give whoever it is, whatever the creature is, a DC twelve. It's always DC twelve Dex save. On a success, they flinch out of the way. So not only do you have to target it, and it's difficult, but then they get the ability to pull back. And on top of that, you have to do ten percent of its max hit points worth of damage in that round to affect that one body part. That's not a lot, though. Uh, it's not a lot for a goblin. It's a fuck of a lot for an ancient dragon. You're not cutting a wing off or removing teeth or any of that shit, right? Yeah. So. Well, how many hit points does an ancient dragon have? Oh, upwards of 300. Oh, okay. 500. Uh, sure. Yeah, sorry, upwards of 500. Sure, but you're telling me that as a caster that can actually take out an ancient dragon, you can't do 50 points of damage? Uh, it has to be a specific cult shot, so your meteor swarm is not going to do it. Tell, sure. tell me how you're you, not allowed to AOE damage this. It is a specific point. Sure. Yeah, and so yeah, if you sure you want to uh, you want to cast harm at higher levels just to be able to to do this or or disintegrate or whatever. Yes, you can roll to do this. That is a badass thing that you are trying to do. And if it works, I will have mechanics for it. And it is you know your speed cut in half or whatever it is. Yeah. The only time that I ever let players. Just do this on on a whim. Just create these injuries is on the crit table, where it is action limb, which is hands, arms, tentacles, or movement limbs, which are you know legs. I include tails, fins, wings, things like that, right? Um, and so you roll to see which one you accidentally lopped off. Anyway, so I, I will do this, and that's when I say like I have lopped limbs off of players. None of my monsters will do this to a player. Ever. They do not do called shots. What they will do instead is they will capture you. They will drag you away. You know that you're going to have your hand lopped off by the executioner at noon tomorrow. Right? And it becomes a plot point. Yeah. However, if I end up in a player versus player scenario, which has happened more than once. Huh? And they roll on the crit table. Then, invariably, Dan will remove Megan's leg at the Fuck you, Megan. That's what you get for killing that church full of innocents. Yeah. Or or Jamie will lop off um, 
uh, Terry's arm or something like this. Fuck shit. you, Terry. That's what you get for killing that church full of innocents. No, Terry. Terry was um, just just living his best life. Jamie got mind controlled. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they were not expecting that. So, um, which which one of lives was this one? Sorry? For Terry's character? Because he had like three like lives uh, that he lived through? Yeah, no. They ended up reversing time so that that didn't happen. They used they used a special magical item to go back in time and it created a split timeline. So his sanity has been slowly um, unraveling as he can remember all of the timelines. Because someone decided to return all of his memories to him. They modified memory and fixed him. Oh. Which means that he remembers three different lifetimes all happening at the same time. And so that created his own kind of crazy madness. However, this is not shit that I would do at random. These are plot point things. Yes. Or it's just like the, the crazy amount of circumstances that had to line up for a player to attack another player, roll on a quick table. I'm not going to do this with a chimera or a manticore. That I'm not going to remove someone's foot with this. If you are going to jump into the lava... You're gonna get scarred. Like that yeah. shit's coming, and there's no amount of me hand waving that away. Which, right? but uh, the thing is, to me, lava is less hot than dragon's fire. Well, for me, there are the there are the three ki- or four kinds of fire. Right? Yeah, yeah. And do you know this, Dave? Have I talked about the four kinds of fire? I feel like you're gonna. <laughs> there's fire. Yes. Which is uh, superseded by elemental fire, okay. which is also the same as alchemist fire. Sure. Beyond that is dragon fire. Okay. And then beyond that is hell fire. Sure. Where does lava fit in there? That's that's that, that's regular. That's normal. Okay. It's just like as hot as fire goes. Right. So um, just because you're immune to fire doesn't mean that you're going to be immune to hellfire or dragon breath. Again, this is for NPCs and monsters. Or I really telegraph this shit ahead of time. Yeah. But I hate the fact that that I put on this magical necklace and now I can walk through the the nine hells and not get affected by this fire. And and hellfire is not fire a devil casts. It is literally walking through the flames of hell. So you have to tap into that shit. So anyway, th- those are my versions of fire. Um, I like to stack it because I like to make things complicated. Apparently. Apparently. Um. Any other final thoughts on scarring or injury or disease before we move on to our final topic? Dave? No. Okay, so let's cut to a shout-out really quickly, and then we will come back and get into curses. So, gentlemen, Alexander Skip Davis has been chomping at the bit for us to open up this package and see what he sent us. Um, What he did was he sent us what he calls turning dice. Turning dice? Turning dice. These things are a load of fun. Hang on. Yeah, I know I they don't look like dice. Um, so the cool thing about these is that you are supposed to put them on an item and roll them, kind of like like Price is Right okay. style, um, to see what the number is that pops up. He's actually manufacturing these and sending them out. He's got a bunch of different colors, and I'm sure he's going to paint the numbers. We got kind of the prototype versions, okay, which are really really interesting. I, I want to take like a chopstick and and put it through, but he uh, he wanted us to to take a look at these and. Like, they're, they're neat. I haven't seen anything like this before. And this one sparkles. The numbers are not all, like, just 1 to 20. They're they're on opposite sides. The 1 and the 20 are on opposite sides. And, like, it, there was some real thought that went into this. And I think he's 3D printing them. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it no, looks he's molding like, them. Are they, is he molding them? He's molding them, them oh, himself, yeah. yeah. Beauty. Anyway. And it's from the number that's at the top? Yeah. Beautiful. 
So, aren't these things cool? I think what I would like to do the next time the three of us are on an episode together uh, is to uh, to actually use these to roll. It's not probably not going to... No, not like that, Dan. Just oh. throw in the dice block. But it's not going to show up too loudly, but I, I really want to use these. But, I mean, they're pretty hardy, right? And then Oh, it's good. It, it's solid. Yeah. I don't have anything else that, that's like this. So... Um, and I know that he's talking about doing more than just D20s for them as well. But no, I, I really like these. I'm gonna I'm gonna utilize these in my games, definitely. Um, and Alexander and other Skip Davis, we are going to uh, reach out to you and uh, and we're gonna put something in our on our Instagram page about where people can buy these things from you because we've got all of this really great shit. So check our Instagram page to see where you can pick these up. We're gonna have a post directly dedicated to these. You'll also be able to find us on our Facebook page, and we'll make a Reddit post as well on our subreddit. Yeah, for sure. So thank you very much. These are fantastic, and they also go clickety-clack if you throw them. All the numbers. All the numbers. Anyway, no, this is fantastic. Thank you very much, person whose name is another skip. This is just the worst shout-out ever, because we're all just playing with new toys. Terry <laughs> <laughs> keeps dropping them on the floor. <laughs> Now, Christmas morning with us would be so fucking boring because we would all get the first present and then just sit there by ourselves and just quietly. Yeah. yeah. Curses are one of the strangest things in D&D because they've got bizarre rules that are counterintuitive to what we think of when we think of curses. When we think of... What do you guys think of when you think of a curse? That thing that was of Strahd. <laughs> Fuck off, Dave. And it's not of Strahd. It's of Strayed. 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 Um, for me, it's, uh, he lives in, in Barovia. <laughs> Anyways, so, uh, curses to me are the... Curses! The, they are the, like, um, thing you won't necessarily see, but your offspring will see. Like, they, they are long-lived, like, bloodline. These are the lasting. negative of the epic boon. Yes. Yeah. You, you think so? So that, well, I mean, I guess you're prescribing to how tieflings were in older editions. There's That's a curse. I, I view them not magical, but supernatural, if that makes sense. Yes. I'm the same way. I see a curse as being, um, you guys know the movie Thinner? Yes. Or it's Drag, a, drag Me to Hell? Isn't, isn't Thinner a Stephen King book as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Richard Bachman, actually. But, yes. Um, okay. But uh, these are like the... I know that we don't use the word gypsy anymore, but that is the curse that I think of because that's what I grew up with in the 80s and 90s and old like cartoon shows and shit, right? Is these old uh, like Romani, uh, Eastern European, uh, like the there, old there lady. Is a, there is a stereotype. The here. crone that puts yeah. a, a curse on you. And we see that with hags. Still. Yes. However, there's more than just that. There's werewolves and lycanthropy. There are mummy curses. There are all sorts of curses out there. And yet, as much as we deal with the magical and the supernatural, it's fucking weird in D&D. And really lopsided and kind of strange. So let's go through kind of the base rules of what curses are. And we're going to start with the spell bestow curse. Third level necromancy. One action, verbal and somatic only, so you don't need to have a material for this. And it's concentration up to a minute. You've got to be able to touch someone. You touch a creature and that creature must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or become cursed for the duration of the spell. When you cast this spell, choose one or choose the nature of the curse from the following options. This already pisses me off because it limits you. Choose one ability score. While cursed, the target has disadvantage on ability checks and saving throws 
made with that ability score. While cursed, the target has disadvantage on attack rolls against you. While cursed, the target must make a wisdom saving throw at the start of each of its turns. If it fails, it wastes its action that turn and does nothing. While the target is cursed, your attacks and spells deal an extra 1d8 necrotic damage to the target. A remove curse spell ends this effect. At the DM's option, you may choose an alternative curse effect, but it should be no more powerful than these described above. The DM has final say on such a curse's effect. It's one of the only times that we see it get really fucking meta in a spell description. At higher levels, if you cast this spell using a spell slot of 4th or higher, the duration is concentration up to 10 minutes. If you use a spell slot of 5th level or higher, the duration is 8 hours. 7th or higher is 24 hours, and 9th lasts until it is dispelled. Using a spell slot of 5th level or higher grants a duration that doesn't require concentration. You notice that the effects of it don't get any worse. Just the duration gets affected and your concentration at higher levels. This is a third level necromancy spell. You can gain this at fifth level. How do we feel about this? Are we rolling? Let's roll. A five. Another nat 20. I got a 17. I am going last. Again. Again. What do you got, Dave? I hate this and I will never use it. If I want to impose disadvantage, I will do it some other way. I don't need this to do it. That's only one of the things that you can do. No, I still I don't I don't like it. It's it's it leans too much into the advantage disadvantage side of things. Uh, it gives uh, attackers advantage against you, yes. Yeah. And it gives you disadvantage. Uh, you can do a little bit extra damage. That's neat. Just do it a different way and get advantage while you're doing it. You don't need to bestow a curse. It's there's fifth edition. Introduced advantage and disadvantage to reduce the math that you had to do in previous editions. Yeah. And although I love that, and I have one player in my group who is super bad at math, and it takes him very long to, to add 12 and 5, um, that's great. It helps my game move a little bit quicker, but they can use it too much. You can do a little bit more math. This is this is the, sh- the one of the shortcomings of 5th edition. This is one of the reasons that I... Still kind of like 3.5 in addition to 5th edition, right? Like it's just, it's not, it doesn't pack enough of a punch. You can cast it at a higher level, but it doesn't really, it's not a bigger punch. You know, it's like. It just lasts longer. Yeah, it's, it's, it falls flat. I honestly, I find casting it as a. If I'm using this on an NPC and I'm casting it at a higher level spell slot, I'm doing it so that now they have this effect all the way through the dungeon. Right? Like it's not... Not a minute. Yeah. I hate it because there's no fucking flavor. There's none whatsoever in this. It is pure mechanic and they don't get into what it takes to cast... What is a curse? What is the... Why is this different than any other spell that has a duration? In theory, every duration spell... Is a curse. Hex is a curse. This is just Hex Plus. Yep. I can't stand this. Dan, where, where do you land on this? I like it. I really, really, really do. Um, and I like it because it is Hex Plus. Uh, I like the fact that um, the 
way it gets better is just by making it longer. I think that's actually really smart because a lot of these things could add a lot of difficulty far more than that short window. Uh, like if you ruin someone's uh, um, dexterity with their ability checks and saving throws made on with that ability score and you extend this out to a day or or depending on what spell level you use for the rest of their lives if you use a ninth level spell on this um it is now a plot point to get this thing removed is, right? I, i'm surprised that you like this because you said that a curse for you was about bloodlines there's nothing like that here there's nothing like that here i like the spell as it is Calling it a curse is maybe where I have an issue. Yeah, I think Dan's just saying it's got the wrong word. Yeah, right? Um, if this was upcasting Hex, you'd be fine. Yeah, if this was Hex Plus. Greater Hex. Yeah. Hexier. Right? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Hexy Beast. All right, but now now check this out. I'm too Hexy for... Yeah. Fuck. Now I'm cursed for the rest of my life. Yeah. Remove curse. Casting time, one action. Third level abjuration. Yep. It's weird that you need a different spell school for this. In theory, you should be able to just undo the curse. If I cast it, I should be able to drop it. Um, I the, disagree. The necromancer not inherently being able to remove a curse feels fucking strange. Well, I mean, they just take the remove curse spell if they really wanted to. But I would say one of the things about curses that I really like the idea of is they're not just a like you. Maybe a hag would snap their fingers and the curse that they have levied on something is gone. But but anything can because this is instantaneous. Remove curse is third level, so you get it at level five. So it's real easy to get. It's instantaneous. And at your touch, all curses affecting one creature or object end. If the object is a cursed magic item, its curse remains, but the spell breaks its owner's attunement to the object so it can be removed or discarded. But this... the. It works because it's not specifically undoing bestow curse. There are other curses that you can do other than bestow curse, and this can get rid of those as well. My problem with remove curse is if I have a ninth level spell slot spent on a curse, it should take a ninth level spell slot remove curse to remove it. Yeah, but as a DM, you just up to DC. There's no DC. There's no DC. There's you, no just, DC. You, just you just cast it. It's gone. Oh, that's bullshit. Okay, I would make a DC. I'm I I like spell slot for spell slot on this, but honestly, this also needs to be an hour long ritual, or you need to have a ritual that lasts a certain longer duration yeah. than this. The idea that this is an instantaneous, I just shrug this off. My freaking cleric just goes, "No, you're not." Seems stupid to me. Yep. Or or oh, that sucks. Forward now. We'll take care of it in the morning. Yeah. So. How do we feel about curses? Do you like them at all? Let's roll for it. Now that we know all of the mechanics for it. Nine. Nine. Ten. Eighteen. Five. Sweet. All right. I so rolled I'm, high to go second. Yep. Uh, I'm telling you right now, I mean, I said it before, I think that curse is fucking weak. Um, and I think the problem, I, I agree, it should be called hex, whatever. Remove curse as remove hex feels a little bit better to me. Yep. I think that the remove the curse item thing needs to be fucking seventh level magic. Yes. Because we have straight up evil, intelligent, cursed items that are plot points. We've all used them in our games. And the idea that a fifth level cleric can just say, no, it isn't. 
pisses me off. There's part of me that wants to say it needs to be gradient because the the armor that is cursed that the only thing it is is you just don't want to take it off. It's not necessarily evil. It's just inconvenient. Well, maybe have a sliding scale for it so that it is based on the common, uncommon, rare, very rare legendary. Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Oh, no. Dan, you're next. Um, I'm not not used to Dan not going last. It's weird. As curses in this... As the spell bestow curse, I don't mind it. I like it. I don't think it should be named that. Like you said, Adam. Um, Curses in this... Like, curses should carry a lot more weight, right? There should be a bloodline-afflicting curse. For generations, my family has dealt with this curse, and because we have dealt with this curse, we have a lot of shame regarding this curse, right? This should be a thing, a plot point, a thread that I could pull as a DM, and it feels like Watsy's just cut me off at the legs with it. Because this is how they do quote-unquote curses. Nah, man, no. Nah. You're now unlucky for the rest of your life. I, as a DM, will have lucky against you. That's a good curse. No, no, no. Reroll that. Why? Because you're unlucky. Yeah, it really depends. I mean, that's off the top of my head and that's very adversarial. But, like, curses need to have a heavier effect. It's okay to be adversarial sometimes. Uh, yes, in the right situation, this yeah. would not apply to that. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, Dave. Um, as a DM, I would never use it. As a player, I would try to use this on every big bad evil guy on round one so that he gets that wisdom save to try to do nothing on his turn and my guys get advantage and he gets disadvantage. Right? However, that is the kind of spell that... As a DM, getting it cast on my guy is going to ruin an encounter and make me have to get creative, which I'm just going to undo it. So, I mean, I'll let them do it, but I'll probably be like, oh, really? You're a fifth level necromancer and that's the best you got? You know, just try to like yeah. talk them out of it a little bit, you know, using the inflection of my, you know? Yeah, yeah I'm with you. You know, I try to engineer the conversation away from it and it'll, it, it works. My players i hope they're not listening are prone to suggestion <laughs> uh really do should we break down that spell too no um the thing that i absolutely dislike about this is that no player takes it and the only time you ever take remove curse is when someone's already cursed yep so it's a downtime thing it's, it's incidental you're right. Remove curse should be an hour long ritual. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, with an expensive material component. Oh yeah. So I want to blitz through this really quickly, guys, because there are a couple of other places where curses fall apart in the monster manual. Okay, first and foremost, hags. Hags should be able to bestow curse, and guess what? They fucking do. They get it. They get um, in a coven. So when there's enough of them together, they will get the ability to cast Bestow Curse three times. No hag in the Monster Manual has the ability to remove curse. Which means means the plot point of go visit the hag to fix this is gone. Yeah, but you can homebrew your way through that real easy. Yeah, but a lot of people play hard and fast. Rules as written with, with monsters. 
I feel like even green hags, which are super low, should be able to do that. That's that's their fucking gimmick. Yeah. They can, as far as their own personal unique thing, change what they look like and become invisible. There is no curse mechanic that they get, period. They are no different than any fae. Yep, pretty much. Sea hags have the ability to change their appearance and have a death glare. There's no curse here. Night hags do have once per day, so it's very limited. Nightmare haunting, which essentially means that they find someone who's asleep and they start to mess with them and give them like nightmares and dreadful visions. If the visions last for at least an hour, they gain no benefit from the rest and their hit point max is reduced by five. If this reduces the target's hit point maximum to zero, the target dies. If the target was evil, its soul is trapped in the hag's soul bag. The reduction of the target's hit point maximum lasts until removed by the greater restoration spell or similar magic. So not even remove curse. I like the idea of a soul bag, by the way. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Hangs outside the body. Yeah. 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 Fleshy, maybe a little hairy. Little nothing. Gross. It's your warrior's mane. Gross. (laughs) Anyway... So, the curses for hags suck. There's nothing here that's weak as shit. Yes, yeah. Right? And I don't like it. Now, there are three other hags that exist out there. We're just going to cover the Monster Manual ones today. But the base level of hag sucks. You need a coven to be able to bestow a curse in the first place. That seems bullshit and wrong to me. Uh, Seeing a hag in any situation should come with it the danger that you will walk away from it cursed. Absolutely. And we just don't get that feeling from these hags at all. Dave, how do you weigh in on this? Honestly, I would just homebrew my way through it and be like, yeah, they they can curse. They can remove it. They can blah, blah, blah. These things, anytime I come across a creature that should have something and they don't, yeah, they have it. So you just have to homebrew the fix because the base monster doesn't have it. That that feels broken to me. I do that a lot, though. Like, if I get into a, a... a combat, and my players do something that I'm not expecting that just alters the combat altogether. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta change the conditions. I've got to make this work to drive the story, right? So I don't feel bad about it. All right, let's jump into mummy then, because curse of the mummy is a thing, right? So one of their attacks is a dreadful glare, which is you know really the same as the. Fucking, you know, the mom look that they give you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You guys done? Fucking. Yeah, we're, we're good. Jesus Christ. <laughs> children. Jump into that mummy. So. Get the glare. That's part of the fun. Then you're going to love rotting fist. God damn it. <laughs> Perfect. So, not only does it do necrotic damage yeah, on a hit. Um, it does bludgeoning damage, then necrotic damage. for This is a CR3, by the way. If the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 12 con save or be cursed with mummy rot. The cursed target can't regain hit points, and its hit point maximum decreases by 3d6 for every 24 hours that elapse. If the curse reduces the target's hit point maximum to zero, the target dies and its body returns to dust. It lasts until removed by the remove curse spell or other magic. Mummy Rot used to be a disease. I want it to be a disease. This everything, you're making a con save for this? It's a fucking disease. It is not a curse. 
I like the idea that it has to be magically removed, though. This is the closest thing to a magical disease that we've seen so far. Yeah, and so I really, I really like this for the mummy, and it's a little powerful too for it yep. because at a CR three doing three d six max hit points, that could be overnight. Yeah, for a sorcerer, right? Like that's that's enough to fucking wipe out some of your spellcasters. Oh yeah, Dave, any thoughts about that? No, I, I, I like it. Yeah, you like it. it, it um, the Mummy Lord also has this, but they've also got a couple of other crazy things that they can do as well. Um, they do not get uh, Bestow Curse, which is weird to me. Yeah, same. A Mummy Lord is CR 15. I figure like that should be something they can just fucking do. Like as an aura. Yeah. Now, the Constitution save is higher. It's at a DC 16 for their Rotting Fist attack. But they get legendary actions. Including Blasphemous Word, which means the Mummy Lord utters a Blasphemous Word. Each non-undead creature within 10 feet of the Mummy Lord uh, that can hear the magical utterance must succeed on a con save or be stunned till the end of the Mummy Lord's next turn. It's kind of like, because we're talking about mummies, we're getting into this idea that it is stunning and slowly for a, yeah. a turn at a time. Uh, hitting people and also channel negative energy. Uh, where anybody within 60 feet of the Mummy Lord, including ones behind barriers and around corners... Can't regain hit points till the end of the Mummy Lord's next turn as well. Oof. Right. And there is uh there's no save on that. Oof. It costs two legendary actions to do it. Worth it. Yeah. yeah. So I like this. This is what curses should be. I want hags to do this shit. Especially the coven should get. Again, I want a DMG table of curses. Right? There needs to be more of this. And I'm I'm a little annoyed. Yeah, curse you. Do you guys have any more thoughts on, on mummies? No. No. I feel like we should have something under the mummy section for sarcophagi and for disturbing and tombs, the resting place. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, we've we've talked about layers and, and a few things. Like there needs to be a mummy layer that curses anyone who was around when that seal was broken. Now, they do have layer actions. And they do have regional effects as well, but it's nothing like curses at all. No, they need to be curse-centered. I mean, a lot of what we see as the uh, traditional, you know, universal library of monsters, the, you know, the Wolfman. Uh, no, the, we're going to get there in a second. Yeah. Those things need to be curses across the board, right? All of them. And and this is, the mummy is one of those where it needs to be about curses. I think, okay, so there is one here that kind of feels like a curse, so I'm going to give it its due here. Until initiative count 20 on the next round, any non-undead creature that tries to cast a spell of 4th level or lower within the lair is racked with pain. The creature can choose another action, but if it tries to cast a spell, it has to make a DC 16 con save. On a failed save, it takes 1d6 necrotic damage per level of the spell, and the spell has no effect and is wasted. I really like that. That is nice. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. going to throw that into a wizard's tower. That that feels yeah. that feels fun to me. Yeah, you're right. I feel like we need to. I almost put fucking vampirism as a curse. Uh, the the ritual of trading blood back and forth. Like what makes a vampire a vampire? We can get into rituals and shit like this. I want to remove the mummy's curse. Needs to be high, high, high level magic, or you have to. Put him, put them back in the sarcophagus and close it, and then cast remove curse. Or like, there needs to be shit that happens with this. Yeah, you got to go find Brendan Fraser. Yes. No, or Tom Cruise. No. Eh. 
No. <laughs> hey, McConnell. Looks like we have all the horses. <laughs> fuck that guy. Just fuck that guy. Oh, I love that guy. He's, he, he's the best part of that, of that movie. So, um, the last thing that we need to talk about as far as curses go and is going to wrap the episode is the curse of lycanthropy. Lycanthropes actually have a section in the flavor text all about their curses. A humanoid creature can be afflicted with the curse of lycanthropy after being wounded by a lycanthrope, or if one or both of its parents are lycanthropes. A remove curse spell can rid an afflicted lycanthrope of the curse, but a natural-born lycanthrope can be freed of the curse only by a wish. A lycanthrope can either resist its curse or embrace it. By resisting the curse, a lycanthrope retains its normal alignment of personality. While in humanoid form, it lives its life as long as... It lives its life as it always has, burying deep the bestial urges raging inside it. However, when the full moon rises, the curse becomes too strong to resist. There's no mechanic on this. No. It's just, this is how werewolves work. Some individuals see little point in fighting the curse and accept what they are. With time and experience, they learn to master their shape-changing ability and can assume beast form or hybrid form at will. Most lycanthropes that embrace their bestial natures succumb to bloodlust, becoming evil, opportunistic creatures that prey on the weak. So remove curse can get rid of you being a werewolf? Fuck that. No. Third level spell. Fifth level caster. Hell no. With no save. Not in my games. No, not mine either. Not and, mine. And that's what I wanted to address. And here. if it is in yours, you're wrong. <laughs> well, Dan's, a, Dan's taking a, a hard stance on that. By the that way, makes no sense. There is no mechanic besides if you take damage, you can get this. There's no mechanic. When you look at the stat blocks, it does not address curses at all. There's no, like, con save or, like, you Nothing. take damage. No. And... If you take damage, you can be affected. So it's just the DM going, you have this now. Here's a plot point. Until you cast a third level spell. I don't like that. I want there to be some sort of mechanic. Some sort of DC to save. Some like... This needs to be something. Hey, you gotta make a cod save. If it hits you with a claw or a bite, specifically, you have to make a DC blah con save. Right? Yeah. And make the save reflective of the level they're at. Yeah. You know? And and there needs to be a little thing in there where if you have one form of lycanthropy, you can't catch another. Because no, like, last thing I want is to see a werebore tiger. Man, bear, sort, pig. Some sort of half man, half bear pig. Yeah. 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 yeah that uh, half... Some sort of half pig, half bear man. It it's the were bear and the and the were boar. Isn't that how they got an owl bear? No. No. No, that was just some selective fucking. So lycanthropy. These there needs to be new rules for this. Yeah. Right? This is not at all worthwhile. If I'm going to run a tier one campaign, level one to four, fine. But again, this feels like D D, Wizards of the Coast, fifth edition. We are talking about tier one and the first half of tier two. Curses make sense. Mm -hmm. The moment you get past about 7th level, it's bullshit. There's nothing to them anymore. You're not trying. You're not working on it. And I, I really want to affect... What do you do at high level play? You curse the party. You give them a time limit. Yeah. That is a great way of dealing with this. And and unlike diseases, we can't just put a magical curse on because they're already fucking magical. Yeah. Right? There should be another level. We have shadow magic. We have elemental magic that they keep talking about, but it doesn't fucking mean anything. Why not have supernatural magic or fey magic or whatever this curse is? We should see more curses out of fey creatures, period. Yes, I agree. 
like the unseely side of things. I want to see curses laid on people by Fomorians who like look at you with their one scraggly eye. There's a curse from that, isn't there? Yeah, there are other creatures that can do that. Um, my large purple giant monster also has an eye that it's going to look deep into your soul and scare the shit out of you. Again, you should see a doctor because it shouldn't have that many warts on it. Curse of the evil eye. Oh, yeah, okay, there it is. With a stare, the Fomorian uses evil eye, but on a failed save, the creature is also cursed with magical deformities. While deformed, the creature looks like Dan. I mean, rude. Well, it's bald. I mean, rude. <laughs> While deformed, the creature has its speed halved and has disadvantage on ability checks, saving throws, and attacks based on strength or dex. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a fan of how curses are laid out. This needs to be expanded. We need to really dig into it. One of the things... I keep toying with the idea of, of making my own PDFs and, and shit, and I keep coming back to the idea of curses mm. in my own head. Just coming up with, not D100 tables, but how to manage curses. A how-to on curse management. Because this shit just drives me nuts. It was mishandled in 3.5. It was mishandled in 4th. I don't think... I don't think D &D, a single edition has got it right yet. No, D&D &D just does not know how to handle curses the way that we grew up hearing ghost stories and watching Are You Afraid of the Dark and, and Goosebumps books and curses were goddamn scary and now they're an afterthought. Well, that's the thing. Dungeons and Dragons is at its heart a sword and sorcery game. The idea of curses... And we've mentioned this before with Sanity. Dungeons and Dragons does not handle horror inherently well. You have to be talented and have a couple workarounds and have some experience handling the medium to be able to make Dungeons and Dragons campaigns horrific. But sidebar, go listen to our episode on horror and there's also a campaign builder episode on it as well. Yeah. Where we dig into the different kinds of horror and how to do it. Yeah. Um... So I see curses being part of that um, base of uh, horror that has fallen wanting to the building up of the simple sword and sorcery tabletop game that we have as 5th edition. Which there's so many great things about, but if you try to blend that genre in a bit, it, it, it's hard and wanting. I really want to see druids... And rangers specifically. Warlocks too. These three should have not not divine, not arcane, curse magic. That's what they should be doing. Hunter's Mark is a curse. Yes. Hex is a curse. Let's call it what it is and let's embrace it. All of the crazy shit that... The, the, if lycanthropy is a curse, what is beast shape? Right? Like, these are curses. We should have all the shifters in Eberron should be curse-based as well, right? We should be seeing more and more of this. And I like the idea of there being things from the Underdark or the Feywild or the Shadowfell that lay a curse upon you. You are plain touched by them. And you are feeling that curse of having walked through those lands. Yeah. Right? And you need to find a way to remove that specific curse. I think that that just makes a lot of sense from a story, a narrative standpoint, as well as from a mechanical standpoint. Do we have any other final thoughts before we wrap this up? I don't... Are we going to roll for it? Sure. 17. 17. What did I get? 18? Yeah. yeah. God damn it, I'm great at everything. Three. Six. Five. Ha ha. Just hits for Dave. God damn it, Dave. Um, 
my I think that I've been really open about my disdain for every single one of these things. If you are going to change this, you should change it in a session zero, clear it with everybody, and treat it as a variant rule. Which means anything rules is written that would come up that would supersede or counteract your, your homebrew variant. I'd go with the rules as written until you can come up with a proper way of doing this. So when you're going to yeah. homebrew diseases, scars, injuries, or curses, anything that's going to leave a mark, right? If you're going to homebrew that shit, really lean back on the rules as written. Otherwise, you're just playing your own crazy RPG because this could get completely out of control very quickly. Very quickly. You could go really deep into this. So I'm I, my big thing is as much as I'm trying to promote new ways of looking at it and new mechanics and what I like and I don't like, 5th edition is not the base setting or the, the game to be exploring these. There are other games out there. If you want to port it over, be clear with your players. Communication is key because they're going to go home and look this shit up later and they're going to be pissed that you are targeting them. Everything we've discussed so far has been just a hair's breadth off of adversarial DMing. And that is what we really, really want to avoid. Adam, I, I honestly, I, I couldn't agree more. A lot of these things, I like the concept, but the, the execution is definitely uh, lacking. So workshop them and like reach out to other GM, DMs you know. Uh, reach out to us on our... Um, Reddit channel of r slash it's a mimic or um, our email or on the website or reach out to us and ask like how to workshop some things. I know a few people do send us messages and be like, hey, I've got this thing. Can you help us out with it? Send us. Well, message. we're getting more and more specific questions. And honestly, we've got a post sitting on the uh, Reddit, which is for um, mailbag episodes. Yeah. Send us your questions on how to deal with these, whether or not you think it might be overpowered or underpowered, what the mechanic might be. Because, honestly, between the three of us especially, we have homebrewed some shit. Yes. So yeah. we've got a good idea between, especially for 5th edition, what is balanced. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily like what's there. Uh, I think there's a place for it in the world. I am not going to use what's there unless I got backed into a corner and I had to. The only thing is that I would adjust some of these diseases to maybe be traps instead of long-term or, I guess, not even long-term uh, diseases, right? These diseases feel like the common cold. They don't feel like malaria. Yeah. So I, I, I would use bits and pieces until I'm backed in a corner, and then I would homebrew my way through it until that bit me in the ass, and then I'd have to call a timeout and sit down with my players and uh, really hash, hash it out. Yeah. Right? Which is why I say you need to have an idea. You, need, you have to have a plan coming into it. Yeah. Otherwise, you are going to sabotage yourself and your campaign very easily. Tomb of Annihilation does a pretty good job of dealing with diseases and curses as well. Yep. Strangely enough, don't go to Curse of Strahd for a curse. Anyways, that's it for this week's episode on conditions. There are many more to cover, and we'll be circling back to them over the next few months. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast, and make sure to check out next week when we're covering gold dragons. 
You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. So we talked a bunch about scarring and about the idea of getting permanent injuries and whatnot. And Dan, you mentioned briefly the idea of called shots as yep, well. Yep. Are there any maneuvers, like combat maneuvers, fighting maneuvers that you miss? I like this is a different kind of called shot. Yeah, let's yeah. roll for it. 18. 15. 4. Um, well, like, what, what, what do you mean by, like, missed maneuver? Like, from a previous edition? Like, from 3.5? Yeah, or even or just something that, that you think should be here and isn't. Uh, charge. The the running up, you get... You have to run in a straight line at least 10 feet. You can go one and a half times your, your movement. Uh, and you can attack with a bonus to the attack. And you get a negative 2 AC. Right? There's nothing like that in Filth. No, there's right? nothing... That I miss. When I first started playing fifth edition, uh, I sat down at the table and they're all they, they're all experienced. I was a player, and they're like, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Oh, I want to charge them." And they're like, "Oh, okay. Like, what? What do you mean?" It's like, "I want to do this." Well, you can't do that. Well, that's a that's a load of shit. And then I, you know, figured it out, moved on. And then when I started DMing, I ported over all my three point five players, and every single one of them have asked me if they can charge. It's like, can we make a mechanic to make it work? It's like, uh, no, but, right? Like, it's. It... So, there is a feat called Charger. When you use your action to dash, you can use a bonus action to make one melee weapon attack or to shove a creature. So, you could either hit it or push it. If you move at least 10 feet in a straight line, immediately before taking this bonus action, you either gain a plus five bonus to the attack's damage roll if you choose to make a melee attack and hit. Or push the target up to 10 feet away from you if you choose to shove and you succeed. I would like to point out that this is a horseshit feat, but a great combat maneuver of some sort. Absolutely. I would not waste two ability points. To just get the ability to do this. To get the feat, right? right? Yeah. I mean, I would reduce the numbers of this to be like... The, the charger feet, I, I, I would just put the ability to charge as it is in 3.5 and 5th. I don't think it breaks the game. I don't think anything else like that. You are using a full attack action to run your movement speed. At least 10 feet of that has to be in a straight line. Um, or at least the 10 feet up to the monster has to be in a straight line. Whatever it is. Yeah, I don't think... And then you get a plus two to attack for a minus two to AC for one round. Right? That's not a big give and take. Right? A plus two to attack isn't huge. Yeah. But a minus two to AC can be, especially in fifth ed where your AC is a lot more cut and dry than it yes. would be. Yeah, you know, from yeah. three point five. Like it, it, yeah, you're right. You could almost pour it over the three point five. Yeah, it would be. It would be a lot easier. I, I agree with you. Because charging is missing. That's just not worth a, a feat. feat. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, Adam. All right. So again, this is basically overrun is close, and it's basically athletics. Um, versus athletics. So when you try to move through a hostile creature space, you can try to force your way through by overrunning the hostile creature. As an action or a bonus action, the mover makes a strength check contested by the hostile creature's strength check. This is athletics both times. The creature attempting the overrun has advantage on the attack if it is larger than the hostile creature or disadvantage if it's smaller. If it wins a contest, it can move through the hostile creature space once this turn. 
Other than that, you get to shove aside and climb onto a bigger creature. There's nothing about charging. Right? Like I'm not... That doesn't really... Does, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't stack up, does it? That's no. a, That's the closest I could find, but... But that's it. Yeah, no, like, charge, the the maneuver charge is, like, drastically missing. And I mean, you... you, It's not even included in the Battlemaster shit. Hmm. But, I mean, you... We we played 3.5 a bit together. I I was usually a fighty more than a spellcaster. I charged all the time. I, you know, the only time that I charge is when I use Shocking Grasp. I desperately want to sunder weapons. I want to break the shit that other people are holding. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I really, really, really miss the ability. There is disarm. You can do that. There are a couple of mechanics in Fit Dead to be able to do it. But I miss the ability to just reach out and smash the vial that is in the necromancer's hand. Right? I really feel like the crystal ball that the hag is holding needs to be smashed. I, I want a mechanic for that. And it's weird that there isn't one. In Pathfinder, I'm sorry, Adam, there is a steel... Uh, combat maneuver where you can straight up grab one unattended object on a on a um, target with a countered roll which is usually a roll against their combat maneuver bonus uh, or against their combat maneuver defense um, I don't want to get into the mechanics of Pathfinder especially in the combat maneuver sense where I think Pathfinder does better than 5th edition it's one of the very few ways I would say that Pathfinder is better than 5th edition but, well, um, in, a, in a system where you can do anything, there are ways that, like, oh, hey, this is cool that you could do yeah. this. The problem is you can do anything. My problem with that is, as a DM, I'm not describing every little detail. And if my players are, well, what's hanging off his backpack? Well, what's hanging on his belt? Does he have one of these? I Like, that's not the game I want to play. That gets into I, far too much detail. I, I would have um, a... Uh, so, like, an, a, if you have an inquisitive rogue, you're able to take, uh, ad, like, advanced perception checks, right? It, it would be lining up with these abilities in order to do this, right? Like, you see the wizard put a wand back in his pocket and pull out a different wand. Okay. Okay. Then you could go and steal that one wand. I want there to be a steal. You just or... want to reach in the wizard's pocket and feel his wand? Um. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, And... Just just to make Adam upset, I got one more, which is the dust in the face distraction. I want the oh, yeah, pocket sand. Pocket sand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always just allow people to do pocket sand anyway. That's I want it to be mechanized because I have no idea how to Deck save. Athletics versus deck save. You think? Yeah, that's or sleight of hand, sorry. That's what that's how I do sleight it. Sleight of hand? Sleight yeah. of hand versus deck save. And then what, blinded for a round? Blinded for one round, yeah. Okay, cool. But it takes up your bonus action to do it. And anyone can do it any any time. You're blinded, so you're just essentially imposing disadvantage. You you gave my uh, Dragonborn Paladin a bo- uh, a bag of never-ending ash. Yeah. And I never got an opportunity to use it as pocket sand. When we did our one-shot here a little while ago, I pocket sanded a few times. That's yep. just like the thing that I... Like that, I, I always carry sand for that reason. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs> <laughs>